Arriving on an alien planet, the Doctor and his companions uncover a diabolical plot. A renegade from his own planet is working with the Warlord in a bid to conquer the galaxy. In the face of impossible odds, the Doctor risks everything and calls in the Time Lords. Will the Doctor escape before the Time Lords intervene? Will Lieutenant Crane find Lady Jennifer? And is this the end of the road for Jamie and Zoe? All this and more will be revealed in the latest action-packed episode of The Zero Room. Welcome to The Zero Room, the podcast which is an anagram of He Tremor Zoo. I'm Robin, and joining me today is the man who's smart enough to know, strong enough to lead, the comeback kid, a new voice for a new America, Jamie Hellstone. And Emma Davey, she's got a lot to say about Tory educational policy. We're here with some twisted podcast excitement, focusing on Doctor Who, specifically the War Games, specifically the final episode of the War Games. And if you want any more specificity than that, you're greedy. So, Jamie, what did you make of episode 10 of the War Games? I think the final episode is a sort of pivotal point, really, in Doctor Who's history. How so? Um, it's one of those episodes, I mean, the War Games itself is obviously 10 episodes long. This is something of an epic. Mm, mm. But it provides a sort of a good bookend to the 60s, and it sort of ties everything up sort of very neatly. Uh-huh. And of course, it could have quite easily been the end of Doctor Who itself, because, you know, yeah. the, the ratings for that final season were very bad. Mm. Um, and at one point, yes, they were sort of looking at cancelling it. This really could have been the end. Mm. Uh, and of course, it ends without the next Doctor appearing. I know, that really surprised me. I was expecting to see Pertwee's face kind of like um, yep. shimmy onto screen, but no, not at all. Can you remember, does Troughton feature in the first minute or so of Spearhead from Space, the next episode? No. No, so there's no all, regeneration scene as well. And for the real anoraks out there, actually, in the 90s, some fans decided to sort of bridge the gap between <laughs> War Games and Spearhead from Space and do a sort of fan production, which I think is called Grievous. Oh yeah, and they actually persuaded John Pertwee to come in. Oh my! Uh, and it's his last ever appearance as the Doctor, and do this thing where they get someone that's kind of like Patrick Troughton, and they get Pertwee, and they sort of merge the two in. So you do actually get that regeneration oh, wow. sequence. And is that done in the privacy of the TARDIS? Yes, they they built their own TARDIS set. Oh, I like that. And I admire anyone who builds their own TARDIS. I admire them. I'm pretty sure it's a DVD extra, but I can't remember which story it's on. It may actually be Spearhead from Space. Excellent. Okay. I, I completely agree. It's pivotal, isn't it? And I like the way that towards the end, there's a kind of recap and we see the Ice Warriors and we see the Cybermen and we see the Daleks and the Doctor reminds us of all the people he's fought and he reminds mm. us of just what a hero he is. Emma, what did you make of it? Well, that, that end sequence you just referenced makes me think very much of David Tennant's regeneration. His oh, what, goodbye. What when he, well, he kind of revisits all his past mm. companions and... Mm. They're fighting some of the creatures they fought before. Remember, he drops in on Mickey and um, oh yes, of course, Martha and so on, and he does this whole sort of sad goodbye, very long goodbye. It's a really sort of uh, they must have drawn on on Trouton's goodbye for that. Yeah, no, I reckon so. Jamie, can you see a parallel there? Yeah, I was also going to say that the other parallel, of course, is that the uh, companions' memories get wiped, a bit like Donna Noble. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
And of course, they've introduced memory wipe technology in, I think, episode nine of the War Games. So they were kind of trailing it as, well, maybe not trailing it as a possibility, but yes, it was there in the background. And am I right in thinking this is the Doctor's first visit to Gallifrey so far? I'm going to say yes, but Jamie, is that actually Gallifrey they're on in the final episode? It is, but it's never referred to as Gallifrey. Um, for, for the real anoraks, because you'll all be screaming this at the speaker, uh, Gallifrey is not named until the Pertwee era. Which story in the Pertwee era, Jamie? Go on, amaze me. Oh, I've forgotten the title of it now. It's the Sontaran one. No, that's towards the end of the Pertwee's reign, yeah. isn't it? Oh, what's it called? Oh, the Time Warrior? Yeah, I think it is called the Time Warrior. Yeah, okay. That's, that, that, I believe, is the first time that Gallifrey is actually mentioned. But the, the war game's the first time that everybody is now, you know, it's, it's the yeah. Time Lords. Mm. That, that's the first thing and yes they are right. back and if you look very sort of sneakily of course you see the design of TARDISes without their sort of disguises uh, yes I, I like those although weirdly they have pretty much the same dimensions as a police box so the design crew <laughs> hadn't kind of deviated too far from the um, original police box model so this was um, a TARDIS crew that we've grown to know and love over episodes such as um, Wheel in Space and The Invasion. Over the past six years there have been a whole bunch of different TARDIS crews. Which one was your favourite, Emma? I did actually quite like Jamie and Zoe. Mm -hmm. Jamie was irritating, but for all his bumbling buffoonery, I did warm to him. And I mm -hmm. did very much like the fact that Zoe was the intelligent one mm. and the one who solved the technical problems on more than one occasion. So uh, I mm. did quite like those two. Yeah, yeah. I have to say I do, I like Zoe a great deal for the kind of reasons you say. And also, although Zoe is from the year 2000 or whatever, she does look very good in 60s clothes. And I like <laughs> the fact that when she leaves the TARDIS in episode one of the War Games, um, yeah, she's wearing this incredible 60s outfit. A woman who very much feels at home in the time that her viewers were watching. But why Jamie? You say you find him irritated, but he, you warm to him. What was it about Jamie that kind of won you over in the end? He's quite a lovable little soul, isn't he? He does mean well, as we would say. And mm. I, I feel like he kind of counters Zoe as well, for mm -hmm. all Zoe's intelligence. And he's kind of the brawn of, so she's the brains mm. of the operation, he's the brawn. And also occasional moments when he touched something that he shouldn't and caused a bit of a problem. I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. No, he has a kind of bit of comedy mileage, doesn't he? And I guess one of the problems sometimes in the TARDIS is that production teams felt that there was just too much brain in the TARDIS. And mm. Jamie certainly mitigates against that. <laughs> He's a kind of net loss in terms of the brain department. How about you, Jamie? What TARDIS crew did you like in the black and white era? Well, as someone who's called Jamie as well, I feel a bit mm. sort of gutted that he's a net loss. Uh, <laughs> I've always had a big affinity with Jamie McCrumman, uh, and I will defend well, him. Well, you've got the hair, haven't you? And you, you and he both look good in kill. I do look very good in kill. It's not, I, the, the Highland blood mm. runs through my veins. It does, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm almost as Scottish as Fraser Hines. Um, <laughs> I probably do just as good a Scottish accent. It's interesting because, I mean, Jamie is, is constant pretty much throughout the whole of the Troughton run. Mm. Uh, mm. He joins very early on and he stays there. And I think Fraser Hines mm. always said that if it wasn't for Patrick Troughton quitting uh, and Fraser Hines' agent telling him to quit as well, mm. they would probably still be in the TARDIS to this day. They would never have left. So, yeah, so if they hadn't have left, they would have stayed is what Fraser they, Hines was getting yes. out there. I, you can't fault the logic there, can you? Fraser no. Hines is onto something there. Uh, I mean, I think they had a, sort of a brilliant sort of dynamic. Uh, and obviously there, there were various companions that came and went, but yeah, Zoe mm. feels very much like a modern girl. I mean, when you're looking back at a lot of 60s TV, obviously a lot of things have dated. Mm. But I think the character of Zoe hasn't 
dated as much as maybe some of the other characters. Mm, like yeah. What makes you say that? Is it her affinity with computers, perhaps? Is it what? What is it about Zoe? I, I think she's a much more sort of modern mm. character as well. Her her job is just not to make the coffee and trip up. Mm. She does actually play a role in, you know, in driving the plot forward, and that she has ideas. Yeah, she knows her own mind, doesn't she? She speaks her own yeah. mind. Um, she's not just somebody who asks questions or agrees with what the doctor says uncritically. I like that about her, and yeah, and in that sense, as you say, she is kind of a call forward to a more modern companion. What about Ian and Barbara in the TARDIS? compared to Jamie and Zoe. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because Ian and Barbara are kind of like these sensible, established adults. Mm, mm, <laughs> they, yes, they're teachers they from are. a school. And yeah. so we've changed from that to um, having quite sort of young mm. companions with no particular commitments, looking mm. for adventure or involved in an adventure and then suddenly mm. in the TARDIS. So they're very different and they kind of continue that it's almost as if the you know the younger companion becomes more amenable to TARDIS life, mm. and um, apart from of course recently with Bradley Walsh's character. Um, oh yes! Yeah. Oh my goodness, Daryl Bradley Walsh. But no, I think you're absolutely right. There's an awful lot of authoritative figures in the TARDIS in the first few stories, aren't there? Mm. Um, I say first few stories. I guess Ian and Barbara stick around until the chase, don't they? So that's quite a long old run they have. And I guess you can't do that again because the whole point of them being in the TARDIS is they're there by accident. They yeah. have lives of their own that they haven't chosen to leave. Whereas Jamie and Zoe are both there because they want to be there. And again, you know, it's easier to want to be there if you are unattached. Um, how about you, Jamie? Who's, who's the better TARDIS crew? I prefer Jamie and Zoe. It's a weird one. You, you look back at how Doctor Who started in the format. Mm. Uh, and of course, Sidney Newman, who sort of came up with the original idea, had this diktat that it had to be an educational show, mm -hmm. uh, which <laughs> sort of partly explains why there were teachers mm. involved uh, and do lots of historicals. And of course, teachers would then be able to act as a conduit for the audience mm. and say, well, the reason this is happening is da 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 da. Mm. Um, and of course, Sidney Newman also had the diktat that there should be no bug-eyed monsters. Oh, he's wrong about that. Indeed. And you can see just how much the show changes over those seven years. Mm. Mm. That you go from sort of authority figures and an attempt at making it an educational show to something which is just it's all about the monsters. It's all mm. about the adventure. Mm. And I think also reflects the sort of changing, the, the way society changed in the 60s as well, that you could have authority figures at the beginning of the 60s mm. that people would look up to. I think by 1969, mm -hmm. uh, society had changed an awful lot. You wouldn't necessarily look to teachers in that way. People weren't looking for authority figures. Mm. They were looking for sort of young, cool people mm. um, who look good in cat suits. Yes. <laughs> and I guess when teachers rejoined the TARDIS in the colour era, they are young, cool teachers, aren't they? I'm thinking particularly of Clara Oswald. Yeah. Danny Pink. So in that sense, they're having it both ways. She is a teacher. She is an authority figure. She is somebody who knows her own mind. And she is also super cool. Uh, because we all know it is possible to be a cool teacher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess a lot of things changed in the first six years. I guess the show is technically slicker in lots of ways. They're getting, they've really mastered special effects. There's lots of kind of great mashups between outside broadcast and studio work. Um, it just seems to be an awful lot slicker, I think, by the time we're at the end of the Troughton years. The Doctor, I think, has changed as well. His whole rationale for what he's been doing when he's put on trial by the Time Lords is that there is evil in the universe and that evil needs to be fought. And that's kind of like a motif of the Troughton era. When they asked the second Doctor why he left Gallifrey in the first place, he just says, because I was bored. It's an answer that makes a lot of sense coming out of Patrick Troughton's mouth. I, you know, I'm not sure it could have come out of, um, of Hartnell's mouth with the same kind of plausibility. But yeah, I guess a lot changed in the first six years. Anything I've missed, Emma? I think there's a, there's a lot less 
historicals, aren't there? A lot less historical. Yes. Uh, have it, yeah. War games aside, <laughs> yeah. a lot less historical. Um, and 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 just thinking about what Jamie was saying about educational side of mm. Doctor Who, you know, focusing on the monsters. It's kind of much more fantasy. Ian and Barbara are much better suited to a show where they are going to visit historical period, whereas Jamie and Zoe are much better for uh, two companions who are going to um, encounter fantastical creatures because they themselves are kind of fantastical characters. Yeah, I, I think introducing a girl from the future was really important there. Mm. Someone who's not going to be phased by mm. futuristic looking um, mm. moon bases and mm. other bases that they ended up trapped mm. on. So what aspects of the show survived from the black and white era to the present day? I mean, the format itself, although it gets tinkered around quite a lot, it's still throughout the whole classic era remains the Doctor, their companions, mm. and a monthly adventure mm. on a different planet, mm. uh, fighting a different foe. There's very little continuity in the 60s. Um, mm. Mm. And, uh, I think as the show develops in the sort of 70s, and definitely in the 80s, mm. then, then there are a lot more references to previous stories, and you have mm. to know mm. more about the show. You know, you can pick up mm. pretty much most stories in the 60s without having a clue what happened before. Yeah, yeah. And you're okay to watch it. There aren't that many sort of references back. Um, I'll tell you one thing I wanted to bring up. Go on. I'm quite aware, and I, I know that I'm speaking as an old fart now who, who should be shot. But <laughs> it'll happen, first, Jamie. It will happen. It, it will <laughs> happen. Yeah, when, when Labour get back in, I think. Um, <laughs> when I first watched the 60s stuff about 20 years ago, I wasn't that fussed about Ian and Barbara. They kind no. of came and went. But I'm quite aware that. Now, younger Doctor Who fans really love Ian and Barbara. Mm, mm. And I'm, I'm quite sort of taken why that is. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody else has seen that or picked that up, but, you know, it, those characters seem to be much, seem to really resonate for some reason mm. with, with a much younger audience. I think one of the reasons may be that they are just so well drawn as characters, and that's partly because of the scripting. I and mean, it's partly because of the initial character design, it's partly because of the excellent performances. Um, but I do take your point. I'm surprised at how much love there is out there for these two characters. And, and as you say, when I first encountered this on VHS, Ian and Barbara were kind of, they were just there. I was interested in the Daleks and the TARDIS and the Doctor. And I really didn't care very much about Ian and Barbara at all. But yes, but that really has changed. I think perhaps because one of the things the modern show has done is it has kind of put character front and centre. And if that's your way into Doctor Who and if you're really in it for the characters, well, then Ian and Barbara are a great place to go. Uh, it's quite interesting. I, I wonder if there's any. I, I was talking about Bradley Walsh's character earlier. Mm. Um, I wonder if there's any parallel there. If they they brought him in because they felt that they needed like this older, sort of more authoritarian type kind of figure. Because yeah. obviously, yeah. Uh, as a character, he's actually incredibly young at heart, isn't he? Um, yeah. Just wondering about that. But, but he doesn't have. But he doesn't have the same sort of gravitas as Ian and Barbara, does he? He's, no. he's like I said. He's still. He's, he's kind of. He asks the right questions. He's he's one of the, the caring members of, of the, the group of companions, but he's not. Mm. Mm. It's, mm. It's, it's, it's a thought. It's a thought. Emma, obviously you're a big fan of the later show. You're a big fan of mm. David Tennant years. Can you see mm. any kind of continuities between the, the good old black and white days and the David Tennant years? So right at the end of Tennant's tenure, and mm. um, he's done his incredibly long goodbye, and he's the longest regeneration in the history of regenerations mm. ever. And he says, I don't want to go. 
And there's always a great debate, wasn't there, as to how he was going to do that. He did, couldn't do it with too much fear and sadness, but there had to be an, an element of pathos there because mm. of the love people had for, for DT. But it's, that's really similar to Patrick Troughton's completely reluctant letting go of himself, of, of mm. him as Doctor. Mm. I can still see some real parallels between the Matt Smith years and Troughton. There was, well, there was elements of the Pandorica, you know, the kind of the, the who he is and mm-hmm. the people that he's fought against. You know, mm. you know, when he stands on the, on the Pandorica and does his big mm. old speech, which, mm. um, Maxim right back in the head with them what they're really mm. there for. I think what you've what you've just done there, Emma, is you've reminded me about the goodbyes at the end of the war games. And they struck me as being quite strange. The doctor says goodbye to Jamie and he's known Jamie for, you know, almost three years. And it, and he seems it's a very it's like Jamie's going down to the shops. It's that kind of goodbye. It doesn't feel like, Mm. you know, this is it. We're never going to see each other again kind of goodbye. This is the end of our adventures goodbye. And when Zoe goes, um, I thought that dialogue was fascinating because Zoe goes, are we going to see each other again? And the doctor says again, Zoe, um, we both know time is relative. And that's how he says goodbye to Zoe, for goodness sake. There's no emotion there at all. It's kind of worthy of Tom Baker because Tom Baker has this kind of Olympian detachment yeah, it's it's incredible. It's it's he seems more perturbed that his appearance is going to change without his say so than saying goodbye to either Zoe or Jamie. I mean, was that your feeling too, either of you? Um, no, I, mm. I I think when you look back at sixties drama, it's it's mm. genuinely quite underplayed anyway. Right. You know, people don't often in sixties dramas just burst into tears in the same way that mm. if you were going to do the war games now, you would have literally you know the Doctor fighting back tears. <laughs> You know, huge orchestras playing in the background yeah. and choirs singing and all this yeah. thing. oh my god I mean I think the actual goodbye between the three characters is quite sweet and of course it was actually the last time the three actors would work together as well mm. so, so there's a certain element like a lot of, a lot of Doctor Who I, I was struck actually a few years ago when I watched Team of the Cybermen with a mate of mine and he said at the end of it something very interesting which was they've been through all this death and mm. destruction and loads of people die and at the end the surviving characters just turn around to each other and say oh well back to the TARDIS back to the TARDIS <laughs> as if nothing's happened yeah. It, you know, yeah. there's, there's no great sort of we've just been through this huge traumatic thing I need to vent yeah. um, it's just oh well you know right see you next week that. but I also wanted to go back to the other point about yeah. the Doctor and his face because I think one of the most uh, affecting bits of the final few minutes uh-huh. of War Games is, is how much the Doctor is sort of still mucking around and sort of joshing and you know mm. oh my giddy art all that and as they sort of start to scrunch up the face which is really mm. well done you know mm-hmm. for, for all that technology it's only right at the end that you get to hear the character's sort of anger and fear mm. in that last sort of scream of no mm. and that's quite a sort of powerful moment i think but he also yeah. seems to be more perturbed about being exiled to Earth, one primitive planet, which is not very civilised, as he says, than saying goodbye to either Jamie or Zoe. That would be my feeling. I mean, Emma, did you feel that the Doctor felt any pain in the parting? He looked a bit sort of reluctant to let them go, but I don't think it was... It was all a bit, bye, Doctor, bye. But he, he was concerned about what happened to them when they left him. Mm. And mm. so we did get to have a little look at, um, at, at their return. Mm. Um, which was kind of a forgetful return, I suppose. How do you mean? They'd had their 
you know, they could remember the one adventure with the Doctor and then that was that. Yes, no, I, I, I totally get your point. Yes, yes, mm, forgetful mm. in that sense, yeah. I do like the fact that they recreated the set of Wheel in Space and you had that little mm. cut back to the model shot of the Wheel in Space and then Zoe's walking down the corridor. And I, do, and I thought that the line that Zoe said was full of pathos where she says, oh, I thought I'd forgotten something really important, but it's nothing. And it was amazing that Trout just stood there and was kind of impassive as she said that. Jamie's obviously off to another adventure. And I guess Zoe's off to another adventure as well because she's got to put the um, wheel in space back to rights having just been invaded by Cybermen. Um, so, you know, so it's all... They're, they're both going on to kind of interesting and fun things. But I thought Troughton really played it very cool and I thought mm. the dialogue kind of was pushing him in the direction of playing it very cool. I've been getting into Quatermass recently. Quatermass is a 50s sci-fi show done by the BBC. It's kind of like the urtext of Doctor Who and one of the things that really features in Quatermass is there's almost no emphasis on personal relationships and I was reading about it and they and what I was reading was saying that in the generation after the war people who lived through the second world war personal relationships were kind of less important there was this big national mission and you got on with the national mission and you kind of put your personal feelings to one side and I'm wondering if there's an element of that kind of detachment the downplaying of personal things which kind of comes through there at the end of the war games. Overall, was, was the end of War Games satisfying? Um, yes, I mean, it's long been held that the War Games goes on a bit. It's a bit of a trek, a bit of a trial, uh, until you get to the last two episodes where suddenly everything goes off. Mm. But I think the story actually, even though it is 10 episodes long, holds up pretty well. Mm. Uh, and actually, yes, it. I mean, it could well have been the last ever episode of Doctor Who, and I think it sort of summed up, mm. you know, if they, it explains why the Doctor originally left because mm, uh, he was on bored. these adventures. Yeah, because he was yeah. bored. I have that feeling myself quite often. Um, <laughs> Don't leave us, Jamie. It's it, it's one of those things I often compare it in my head to the end of The Prisoner. Oh, right. Okay. How's that? Which, which is another sort of great sort of 60s show, which ends on a very sort of odd note with you know him sort of finally revealing the mask uh, and he was controlled or whatever it was. Or number, number one. All this time. Yeah. yeah. And they both end on a bit of a downer which I don't think you would get away with now. Mm, mm. I, I think the pressure, if you ever had to actually finish Doctor Who, <gasps> you had to write the don't final episode. Suggest it. Would, would be that you would have to give it a, a, a sort of positive ending, much like Andrew Cartmel did, of course, with Survivor. Gives the Doctor that, come on, Ace, we've got work to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. May not be the world's most dramatic thing, but it does end it on a yes. slight positive. And I, I was intrigued, actually, because I did dig out the novelisation of the War Games. Of course you did. Uh, written I by should Malcolm hope Hull, so. And it ends on a slightly different note. After the Doctor sort of flies off, two of the Time Lords look at each other, and one of them says, he would never have fitted in here. <laughs> I agree, said the great voice. It's a pity. He would have brightened the place up no end. <laughs> Obviously thinking about Colin Baker there, the brightening up. Yeah, line, indeed. I, would have thought, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about this in the context of Line of Duty, which of course finished a couple of days ago. And every, and what well, I say everyone, I'm not sure if this is fair, but you know, there's there's been some backlash. There are people saying, oh my goodness, yeah, Line of Duty. We've stuck with it for six seasons and buckles, for goodness sake, what's that all about? And my feeling is that there's still so much more that 
is yet to be revealed about the Doc. There's been six years in which we didn't really know much about this character. But the fact that he's a Time Lord and the fact that he has a people and that he's kind of fallen out with them, that doesn't resolve an awful lot. And I think the Doctor in the last two episodes is incredibly mysterious. So in episode nine, there's the bit where he creates that box out of nothing and he kind of enters this trance and communicates with his people. So yeah, my feeling is that the Doctor, even at the end of the war games when things are being revealed, he's becoming more mysterious, not less mysterious. I think that if I was watching Doctor Who at that point, without the benefit of hindsight here in 2021, mm. I would not buy the excuse that he left because he was bored. Because? I would say, because I, that would open up a can of worms. You left because you was right. bored. Mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> you're, you're going around risking life and limb with the, these young people risking their lives and limbs, and you did it because you was bored. Mm, yeah. I think so. Oh, I don't know. Boredom's a very strong emotion. I do like the idea that he was bored. I think that's a very Doctor Who-y thing to say. It's simultaneously very understandable and kind of superficial, but also kind of points to something very profound. His need for action and adventure and his need to get involved and to sort things out. So yeah, I, I don't know, I like it a lot. And also, it means that he doesn't monologue, does he? He doesn't say, oh, you know, well, back in the day, this was going on in Gallifrey and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, I was bored and then it's on to the next thing. And so it allows him to say an awful lot in a very short, iffy sentence. I, I do wonder what people must have thought at the time mm. when this episode went out. Because, mm. the, you know, there wasn't the, the other regeneration. You know, there, mm. there was no sign of John Pertwee. Mm. Um, and if you've been watching this as it came out, you must have been absolutely devastated. Was um, Pertwee even cast at this point? I, I think Pertwee was cast the week after it was broadcast, <gasps> which is one of the reasons why it's not in the show. Right, okay. And it was a good three or four months before they actually filmed it. So, yeah, you, you would have been watching this, and to all intents and purposes, your favourite character who's been on the screen for six years mm. has just been killed off. It's up yeah. there with sort of Blake Seven. Oh, don't mention that. Gosh, I still haven't got over that. <laughs> So we're now going to talk about spin-offs. Emma, were there any characters or situations in the show that you thought would make a good spin-off? Well, as we were saying earlier, kind of <laughs> the goodbye with Jamie mm. and Zoe mm. was just kind of rather sort of lacklustre. So I think I'd like to see, uh, I've been thinking about whether it should be Jamie or Zoe. I'm going to opt for Jamie. I'm going to opt for a spin-off, The Further Adventures of Jamie McCrimmon. Mm. And um, with a bit of an issue in that the the technology that enabled him to forget uh-huh. his experiences with the Doctor didn't quite work and he has little flashbacks mm. which he has to uh, work out while being a ancient mm. Scottish clansman so there's my spin-off idea yeah I like that that's a really good one now have you ever watched oh it's not called Highlander is it called Highlander Don't know. Highlander yeah yes there can be only one no, not I'm thinking of something oh. else then. I'm thinking about the, the, the things on Channel 4, the series oh, where out, the woman goes. Outlander. Outlander, that's it. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Do you know the link between the war games and Outlander? No idea. She's from the future, isn't she? And she goes back and spends time with ancient Scottish people. And one of them's called Jamie. Ooh, I didn't know that. He's called Jamie no because of Doctor Who. Wow. Wow. Doctor Who's reach is wide. That's the top fact. So what about you, Jamie? Any ideas for spin-offs? The, uh, well, uh, Jamie and Zoe do return in Big Finish, mm-hmm. in the worlds of Big mm-hmm. Finish. And of course, they do also return in the Five Doctors. 
Kind of. Aren't they kind of image projections or something? Um, my big idea, and although it's a character that's not in episode 10, it's a character that plays quite a big role in the rest of the story, uh-huh. would be a spin-off about the War Chief. Mm. Now, as the story sort of builds up, you're introduced to this character called the War Chief, mm-hmm. played by Edward Brayshaw, mm-hmm. who is a rogue Time Lord. With great hair. Ah. And he sports a sort of Machiavellian goatee, like mm. sort of most evil Time Lords do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's long been mooted that he might be a relation to the Master, or he might yeah. be an early version of the Master. Sounds plausible. Mm. But this is also the only story you see him in. Uh, he never appears again in the TV show, so he must be somewhere out there causing mm. mischief and getting up no good. Mm. Ripe for a new Doctor Who oh, yes. episode. Well, yeah, the... So there were two nasty Time Lords in the Patrick Troughton era. One was called the Meddling Monk. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was played by Peter Butterworth of Carry On fame. Although I don't think Troughton met the Meddling Monk on telly. He's now back in Big Finish, and he's now being played by Rufus Hound. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, top choice. Yeah. He can also sport a splendid goatee as well, (laughs) can't he, Rufus Hound? He does good goatee. There's no denying Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't get enough praise for his fine facial hair. Nope. And there's a couple of other people, the, the Warlord, who is mm-hmm. the really nasty guy mm-hmm. at the end of season 10. Uh, he's played by a guy called Philip Maddock. Oh, yes. Uh, who then reappears in The Brain of Morbius, which mm-hmm. is a Tom Baker adventure. Yeah, he's good in that. Uh, and if you're a Dad's Army fan, which you may or not may not be. I'm not, and I can't stress that enough. Um, the infamous episode where the German U-boat officer says, don't tell him your name. Ah, don't tell him, Pike. <laughs> that is That's- Philip... That's one of my favourite moments in comedy really? ever. It's a damn fine moment. I'm really not a fan. Uh, and that's the same actor. Oh, yeah. the U-boat captain. He, is, he becomes the U-boat captain. He's good at playing in those, What are they called? They're off They're off Ham Bay. Because Wilmington on Sea is supposed to be Ham Bay, isn't it? It's supposed to be set there. Um, I, I thought it was actually supposed to be in Sussex. I think they kind of fudge it a bit. Yeah, because they those... Talk about, oh, what are they... What are they called? They are off hand, Bay. Oh, they're sort of metal turrets. Yeah. Which appear in Fury from the Deep. I'm glad you brought that back to Doctor Who, Jamie. We fell down a dad's humming rabbit hole. All roads lead to Doctor Who. Certainly on the Zero Room they do anyway. We've taken a fairly idiosyncratic jaunt through the black and white days of Doctor Who. Jamie, are there any episodes you think we should have looked at which we missed? I know I would have liked to have looked at the Ice Warriors, um, maybe a bit more on Wheel in Space, perhaps the Trout and Dalek stories. Yeah, what about you, Jamie? Um, whenever you talk about 60s Doctor Who, there is a slight problem that an awful lot of episodes are missing. Mm, uh, yeah. And often we hear about stories which would be great to watch, but we just can't watch them. One of them is a, a 12-part story in the William Hartnell era called The Dalek Master Plan, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be incredibly epic and mm. lots of things going on, but it just... Uh, mm. Well, actually, three episodes exist out of the 12, and that's wow. it. Wow. Do they animate the rest? They are slowly working their way through them. Mm. So at the minute, they seem to be going through the Troutons. Mm. Right. And there are sort of rumours that the next one may be Evil of the Daleks. I've heard Wheel in Space. Maybe not. Mm. Mm. So possibly that they can sort of release box sets of whole years. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get them all eventually. Yeah. It, it's just one of these things. A lot of Doctor Who fans are, of course, convinced that all these episodes do exist. It would be nice to And they're just so. hidden in a vault somewhere and the BBC hasn't released them because the BBC hates Doctor Who fans so <laughs> much. Any final thoughts? 
Hartnell's doctor was sort of very confused a lot of the time. Um, and I think we said, you know, always wanted to get back to the TARDIS. So Chatton's different in that, you know, he wants to be out there. He's got a, as he says in the in the last episode, you know, he's got a, a you know, he wants to fight evil, which Hartnell never, never had like an aim as a doctor. But Chatton does have that. But he's still that, got that kind of lost element that Hartnell had. And that I think Paul, he had um, quite a few of his stories as well. So um, he's an interesting, he's an interesting doctor. Yeah, the thing about the Hartnell doctor was that he was always, he would sort of land somewhere, wander around, get into trouble, and then try and get back mm. to his ship. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't sort of stand up for things, didn't fight mm. for things. There was, it wasn't mm. like a conventional no. hero. And I think actually mm. what you see in the Troughton era is actually the template mm -hmm. for Doctor Who going forward. The, yeah. the doctor is, is a hero. He is there to right wrongs, he has companions, he travels round, he fights monsters. Uh -huh. And from there on, mm -hmm. yes, Doctor Who picks up that sort of formula and just keeps repeating. Uh, and it's still the show we know oh, and indeed. love today. Yes. That does make sense, actually. You know, you were saying earlier about the original um, idea behind Doctor Who being that it was educational. Uh -huh. So if he's just visiting these kind of historical eras, that's all really the Doctor could do. If you know mm. Harkonnen's Doctor could do, he can't really meddle mm. too much, and he makes that quite clear, mm. doesn't he? In particularly that's in like the Aztecs, point. so it makes sense that kind of as the the concept of Doctor Who grows and changes, that he ceases to be someone who simply experiences and actually becomes someone who participates. My final thought was just how remarkable it was that there was no on-screen regeneration by the time that that Colin Baker leaves the show. The idea of an on-screen regeneration has become such an important part of Doctor Who that even without one of the actors, they still try and do it. That, I think, was the most jarring bit of it, the fact that there was no on-screen regeneration. And I think, yeah, it's an indication of just how important the regeneration became from that point onwards. We've been The Zero Room. We'll be back next time with Spearhead from Space. In the meantime, be well. <laughs>